0: Hi, I'm Roland Smith. I'm the co-head of the Scottish Tourism Group and international law firm CMS. Welcome to the fourth episode of our Scottish Tourism Rebound and Remodel podcast. I'm joined today by my CMS Scotland colleague and Scottish Tourism Group co-head Katie Nolan. Hi Katie.
1: Hi Roland, great to be on the podcast.
0: You hosted our CMS Scotland Future of Scottish Tourism webinar on 11th of May 2022.
1: That's right. We were joined again by Vicki Miller, who is Director of Marketing and Digital at Visit Scotland. We were also joined by Marcus Pickering, who co-founded one of my favorite gins, Pickering's Gin, which is distilled just a 20-minute walk away from our Edinburgh office at Summerhall Distillery on the edge of the Meadows. The distillery was opened in 2014 and was the first gin distillery to be opened in Edinburgh for over 150 years. You can tour the distillery all year round. And Trisha Fox completed our webinar panel. Trisha is CEO of Cunningly Good Group, which is a blended agency that brings together experts in strategy, design, communications, and websites. Their work in the tourism sector has included the Enchanted Forest in Pitlochry, the Scottish Game Fair in Schoon, and the Glen Turret Distillery in Creef. I began our webinar by asking Marcus and Trisha to share their experiences of current demand for tourism.
2: For us, tourism is really picking up. So I, I looked at our numbers today. Um, we are at about 69% occupancy at the moment, um, and our bookings are um, getting further and further into the future now, which is good. So it's not just people arriving in Edinburgh and taking booking. So I'm I'm very optimistic about um, tourism, and um, I think a lot of companies have had a, a kick up the bum. Um, after uh, lockdown and realise that we as a country have to do a lot more um, for tourism to um, keep keep our tourists coming.
3: We're seeing a slightly different picture being on the agency side. So we're seeing a slower uh, return to what I would consider to be normality. So normally we would be involved in quite a lot of forward planning um, in, in terms of campaigns. And um, what we're finding is that there's a, an awful lot of um, last minute decisions to do things. Um, and and there isn't much forward planning in in all honesty beyond this summer. Uh, So there's a little bit of a, let's open our doors and see what happens. We'll just take it as it comes kind of attitude, which um, I don't don't think bodes well, to be honest. I think we need to get back to that forward planning. Uh, Marketers tend to work ahead, so we're never in the moment. We're often um, six to 12 months in advance at least. Um, So yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about that future. Um, where where is that kind and what, what are the plans for that future? So, yeah, we kind of almost need to get back into that that routine of um, planning autumn now and planning Christmas now, um, as as boring as that may sound. So it's it's it's. Very much here and now, um, but not necessarily um, looking forward, which is, is, is a little bit concerning from my perspective.
1: And Vicky Miller was able to share some of the data that Visit Scotland have been collating.
4: What we can see from our UK domestic tracker is about 60% of the UK population expect to take a domestic holiday or break this year. Now, that is up on last year. From an international perspective, when we look at things like our if I look at the web traffic to visit scotland.com, for example, so we saw um that being dominated by people um in the UK, um, which is quite unusual because we would normally see something like a, a split of um 60% UK, 40% international, but it's been something like 80% domestic, 20% international. But we have really started to see in these last few months that international week on week increase. And when we look at um data that we get from, we've been working very closely with Expedia to drive incremental bookings into Scotland through our marketing activity. We can actually see that in some markets like the US as an example, search interest in Scotland is at 2019 levels. Bookings almost at 2019 levels. But I think what's happening, and I think this maybe plays to Tricia's point, is a lot more bookings are last minute. So I think people are looking um, and thinking about travel because they want to travel. You know, they want to get away from, from home. They want to do all of these things that they've really missed, those kind of mood lifting experiences, as I call them. Um, but there there's maybe still a little bit of hesitation and booking is a lot more last minute, which definitely makes
1: it really difficult for businesses to plan. Vicky also talked about two key trends, young audiences and luxury travel. We're seeing a kind of younger
4: professional uh, more interest in a younger audience wanting to travel further they are professionals they have money to spend we've also seen a growth in luxury travel so that kind of real high end Um, and that's particularly you know from from international markets so I think there are some really good signs but I think our recovery as a destination is not not even either. I think, you know, rural areas have maybe have benefited more from that domestic market. We've seen it take a bit longer for cities to recover, starting to see more of that city um, recovery now. And I think particularly with a summer events programme, mm-hmm. maybe the return of business travel, that is also going to help the cities. I think there's still a real midweek lull in the cities. So maybe stronger at the weekend, but, you know, a, a lull um, definitely in midweek. So quite a unique set of circumstances, I think, at the moment from a, a, a it's not an, a, a one size fits all picture,
1: I think, but there's some positives in there.
0: And the panel also talked about how difficult it is to plan forward in the face of future uncertainty.
1: That's right. The panel mentioned some of the challenges that creates the importance of working in a highly agile way, and what the Scottish tourism industry can do to combat the challenges of constrained labour supply. Marcus first, followed by Tricia and Vicky.
2: We have to allow for capacity. Um, so it doesn't matter if we're at 100% or if only one person turns up. We still have to put on the same tour for them. And in fact, we had this discussion um, just a few days ago where um, we did only have one person turn up for a tour and we had three people, um, so we adjust with, uh, like you say, with trends. So for some strange reason, Monday tours were getting quite busy, um, whereas Tuesdays were quiet. So we just, you know, we change the future dates around and we adjust. Um, but we normally don't do it on what we've got in the future. We we tend to do it on what's happened and then we adjust to that. So I think you're right. We are getting a lot more um, last minutes. So. Um, but I don't, um, for us as a business, that's not the end of the world uh, for, you know, things like hotel bookings and staffing, restaurants and bars and that sort of thing. I think it's a, a bit of a nightmare.
3: I think Marcus has hit on something really important there, um, is, is the importance of continually watching the data um, and adjusting and, and, and being really quite agile and responding to what the market changes are. Um I am um, Vicky will probably agree with me here. I, I've I've been in marketing for more than twenty years. I've never worked with a market quite as bizarre and, and agile and jumpy, I think is the best word for it, as this, so, you know, it's 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 a bit like doing the hokey kokey in terms of marketing. You can't predict what the consumer is going to do. You can't predict what the government's going to do. You're not entirely sure how people feel about things. And so businesses are having to react and, and respond in, in that kind of very odd environment. Um, and, and so watching the data um, and, a, yeah. and adjusting to that um and adjusting your staffing levels to it and 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 all of the challenges that the industry has around staffing at the moment which is, is not inconsiderable um you know sh- there's a there's a shortage shortage of chefs we've had a lot of people that have left the industry um you know, we're not seeing it coming up through the ranks yet. So it, it, it it's really, really challenging, I think, for businesses out there. And, and, and literally, it's a daily job just watching what the market's doing and, and, and responding. It's almost like um, the best way I can describe it. I feel like a bit like a market trader now um, where, you know, you're like, <laughs> buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. And it's yeah. almost at that level of speed that businesses are having to respond to market shifts, which is extremely unusual. Um and I'm I'm sure Vicky will have more to add to that yeah, than I would.
4: Okay. No, I, I completely agree, Tricia. And I think, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think having access to, you know, digital channels though, you know, and we know that's where consumers are looking and booking. So as you say, we can use our digital channels, our social media changes to our website, keeping all of that content fresh so that you're constantly, you know, engaging with maybe people who visited before, looking for new ways to reach new audiences, so that you can, you know, be quite agile with that marketing and the message. Great opportunity this summer to think about, you know, how as well you can capitalise on, you know, the summer event programs to look at, you know, if you have got lulls, how can those events help support that reason to return message? I think there's a lot we can do. You know, using digital marketing, I think to to be quite agile. I think just on the labour um, challenge, you know, it is definitely hearing that you know for some businesses the issue is not demand. There is plenty of consumer demand. The issue is capacity um, to cope with that demand and to be able to um, you know provide the experience that you know, businesses would really want to. So businesses having to do to to, to limit capacity, um, you know, so whether that is not offering um you know if it's a if it's a hotel maybe not offering the restaurant to locals but focusing on just the, the residents so I've hear, I've heard of a lot of examples there so I think we've got to really use this opportunity now to kind of really raise the profile of um, tourism as a career. We've been doing that through the kind of the month of March um, We we kind of really did spotlight from a Visit Scotland perspective working closely with the industry all the different careers seeing lots of employers I think doing really great things to attract talent you know, into their business um, and having to consider everything from, you know, wage, but a kind of wider package of benefits. Um, and that's going to be really important, I think, for us to continue to be able to offer the, the fabulous, you know, welcome and service that Scotland is renowned for So I think the Labour one is, is definitely a challenge, you know, and I
1: think, as Trisha says, quite a unique set of circumstances we have just now. Marcus Pickering from Pickering's Gin again.
2: The Hotel Divan here in Edinburgh had 70% of their staff were from overseas. Um, now, in order to return to work, they all need to get the correct visas and, um, and come back. So they've had to close um, or they've had to reduce their capacity from 250 for sit-down to less than 150 for a sit-down meal. Um, and that happens everywhere. It's all over the city uh, here in Edinburgh. But it you know, it's all over Great Britain. Um, so I think allowing people to come uh, and, and work within our tourism industry in, in, and making that easy for them to come and do that is a, is a huge thing. Um, I mean, we, we, we actually have um, a, a Canadian, an American uh, and two French people working for us who are vitally important to us and we had to really fight to keep them um, on board and uh, to keep them here. Um, And in in fact, our head of tours is, uh, she's French and does the tours in French, Spanish and English, uh, which is wonderful. So I think um, also treating, you know, looking after your staff is is really important. Happy staff is one of the most important thing you can have. So that's another big thing for us is is, uh, treating everybody well, give them good pensions, give them good uh, benefits time off, etc. It's all very, very important to make sure that they're, when they're here on site, they're as happy as we can possibly keep them.
1: And Vicky Miller and Tricia Fox also stressed the importance of tourism businesses engaging with the potential of workforce. Vicky first. Yeah,
4: I, I agree. I think for businesses as well that, you know, they could be promoting themselves to local schools, colleges, universities. And we're coming into the summer, there will be people looking for you know, that that early work experience. So, you know, that's probably this time of year is a good opportunity to be reaching out to, to local um, schools and colleges. But I do think long term there is a need to kind of shift the perceptions of careers in, in, in tourism to show that it is a career, to show the variety and breadth of jobs um, that are within you know the sector. Um, and you know, that is also going to be important to see it as a career of choice
3: for a long long time the industry has had low wages it's it's been hard work It's been long hours and and it still is and will always continue to be but you know there are things that employers can fix low wages being one of them um and 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 that does have an impact on pricing absolutely but you know it's interesting because on the agency side we're working with a lot of employers companies to um improve perception of their employer brand Mm -hmm. which is now becoming a very big issue for them um to be seen as a good employer to be seen as offering solid jobs career Progression, um, good pay—all uh, of the things that are actually, frankly, quite you know simple things to fix. But it's the communication of that that I think is kind of the next step, um, and, and presenting that to possible um, employees and, and encouraging them into the industry. So it's yeah. it, it's definitely a hot topic for employers, no doubt.
4: Check out Skills Development Scotland website because I think there are also a lot of um, different programs running. Um, to help businesses um, with that kind of people development um, and you know reskilling, upskilling, which also I think is really important, particularly to young people, to know that, that those development opportunities are there. So I would check out Skills Development Scotland website for you know different opportunities.
0: Katie, you also explored with the panel the fact that pricing shouldn't simply just be used as a tool to combat the cost of living crisis that businesses are currently facing.
1: Very much so, Roland, yes. Tricia and Marcus both touched on how it can be a powerful marketing tool.
3: You know, we do have to move, I think, as, a, as an economy generally um, to being a higher wage economy, and that will inevitably mean that prices will have to rise. But pricing is a marketing tool as well. It's 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 the least spoken about marketing tool because nobody likes pricing. Um, and the last thing that businesses want to do is put the prices up necessarily, um, and particularly in a competitive market. But actually pricing can be a, a really impactful part of the marketing mix um, in terms of completely transforming a business and I know that Marcus um, uh, has a has a, an actual tale to tell uh, in that regard in terms of the pricing of his tours so it, it is something that we just need to look at I think in the round it's not an either or um, scenario yeah. I think it, it just is almost rebuilding the business model um, to, to suit what that, that employment market looks like going forward.
2: Quality over quantity is, is a really important Absolutely. thing now and we um, when like I was saying earlier, when we got a professional tour guide in who's who thinks of it as a career, she was very much, um, we need to change a lot of things about your tours, um, which uh, we gave her free reign to do. And um, she put the price of our tours up by over 100%, but then improved the offer um, dramatically. Um, so everybody had something to take away with them. Everybody uh, had a longer tour, everybody had a bit more of an experience, they had extra spaces that they could go and investigate and see. And um, we're still getting feedback on our trust pilot and on um, TripAdvisor and things like that, that people are still saying value for money. And we we, we put the price up by over 100%. So I think, like you say, people want, if if you're going on holiday, then, you know, you um, expect to do things and people I think spend a bit more money on holiday anyway. So I think the cost of living is a problem, but if people are going on holiday, then they expect to do the things that they normally would do on holiday. That's what people like to do. And they know it's gonna cost a bit more. But what we try and do is give them the value to go away and say, yeah, it was a bit expensive, but it was brilliant and it was worth it.
1: We also talked about how Scotland should be positioning itself in the international tourism market.
3: We have an amazing product. We've got fantastic food. Um, You know, we have an awful lot to offer the international tourist. Um, And and I don't think we should be ashamed to shout about it.
4: I I completely agree, Tricia. I think we are never been a mass market destination. It is one of those... um, you know, I think it is a, a premium product, and I think you know the feedback we get from visitors when they come here is is kind of wow. It's always it's always positive, and the international visitors that we attract, is, as I say, tend to be those those higher value that are that will pay for those kind of unique experiences that, that we offer. And we deliver that in in bucket loads, so we should be very you know very proud of that. I think from a brand strategy perspective, you know, we work on a, our brand strategy is about reinforce and challenge. So, reinforce all the things that people know, um, and you know want to come to Scotland to do for the you know for the first time, and they tend to be the iconic things that Scotland is really recognised for, you know, which does include our history, our culture, like our castles, our whiskey, and all of those things. But as part of that kind of you know, repositioning um, and presenting the Scotland we are today, it's a bit challenging some of the perceptions to say, well, actually, you know, if you like this, you might also like that. Did you know? You know, and, and there's so much more to what Scotland, the diversity of what we have to offer is is. Is huge from America. We typically talked about our cultural explorer segment who did who wanted to do that kind of iconic holiday, but actually we're seeing a real growth in bus seekers. And so we're very focused on going after this new audience who are kind of younger professionals. they also love a city break, um, but also want to do that kind of um real outdoor adventure. And we've got so much product you know in in that area and um, so it's great to see and actually you know i'm hearing from from businesses around the country that they are seeing more of that kind of younger seeker audience and that's great because there's a lifetime value there they will come back you know if they've had a great experience they will come back so you know i think some of the trends we're seeing around kind of well-being being outdoors that those unique experiences that kind of transformative travel also giving back you know we're seeing people wanting to come here and actually be involved in a community project that might be rewilding, um, you know, with, and, and that growth and sustainable travel. There's huge opportunities for us to kind of really tap into these trends.
0: One of the key challenges I've always thought Scotland faces is how tourists get around the place. Uh, international tourists often visit Edinburgh, maybe do Glasgow, maybe get a coach up to Loch Ness. But historically, that's often pretty much been it. There's a whole country out there to explore, but how do people actually do that?
1: So, Roland, I I asked the panel whether they thought Scotland's infrastructure is up to the challenge. Marcus Pickering first, then Trisha Fox from Cunningly Good Group.
2: It's very difficult, isn't it? Because, um, you know, if we had a desert, then uh, we could put in a ton of roads and and motorways and that'd be absolutely fine. But unfortunately, we have this beautiful environment Mm -hmm. that people are quite right in saying that they don't want to destroy with uh, roads or aircraft or airports. Um, people get very cross with the coaches, with the camper vans, with the North North Coast 500, um, which is fantastic, but uh, apparently what a lot of tourist destinations say is that people want to get round the North Coast 500 like it's a race and don't stop at all the tourism destinations. So um, I think that there is a happy medium there, but I think that, um, the thing that i've always wanted and that we spoke about briefly earlier was that if we just improved our single track a9 which is the trunk road going through the center of scotland if we just improved that a little bit it would it would reduce the amount of heavy traffic the coaches the buses on the minor roads because it it might take it might be further to go but it would still be quicker to use the a9 and then to turn off so You know, imagine a tree with branches. You just want to go up the middle and turn off. Whereas, um, so I think that I think our infrastructure isn't good enough. But I don't have the. um, It's very difficult to get around. But how do you do that without spoiling? The countryside—it's it, a difficult one.
3: Every country I've ever been to, where um, there has been what I will call frictionless travel, where you—you know, you get off a plane and get on a train, and then you're into town. Um, you know, there's a connectivity to it, but you know, there's a practicality that I think could relatively easily be addressed um, now that ScotRail is under government ownership to look at how we connect better, um, you know, those hubs and and looking at, you know, the connections between plane, train, um, because, you know, the train is a a good alternative and I use the Enchanted Forest as an example here. Um, You know, 90% of our visitors come to the event by car and the simple reason is that they can get there by train, but they cannot get back. Um, so simply by adjusting the timings of trains going back to Glasgow and Edinburgh at night um, would would make a difference there. Um, and I'm sure everyone on this call has probably been in uh, the new uh, arena at the SECC and, and literally seen the people from Edinburgh get up and leave at quarter to ten because they've got a train to catch um, and miss the last part of the show that they've come through to see. So you know just looking at the yeah. movement of people and why why they're getting on those services and adjusting the times times, um, which have probably been the same for the last 30 years, I'm, I'm fairly certain. I mean, there's still an 812 train to Glasgow from Perth, and I've been getting it for the last you know, um, three decades. So, you know, people, people have changed, movement has changed, needs have changed, uh, and it's maybe just about time that, that, that ScotRail went back to the, the drawing board um, and, and moved out of the Victorian times on that one.
1: We also talked about sustainable tourism. Vicky Miller flagged consumer research that 80% of consumers think hard about how they can travel sustainably whilst businesses are investing to reduce costs and create a point of differentiation with competitors. She also pointed to some really interesting research that her organisation, Visit Scotland, had undertaken to understand the attitudes of Scots towards tourism. we ran actually a, a survey of, of
4: the Scottish population to kind of really understand um, you know, how important what they understood about tourism in terms of its role in the Scottish economy as an employee, you know, as a as, as a sector, as an employer. Um, and it actually really highlighted that, you know, in vast majority, 87%, I think it was, um, and it was a representative sample across all parts of Scotland, really do understand that it's a sector that will play an important role in contributing to a recovery from the pandemic. Um, and sustainable kind of economic growth. I think the key is is about, and it's an important. Source of employment. You know, it's it's one in twelve people in Scotland are employed in in the sector. So I think there is that real understanding. But it is important because you know we we did see. I think some of what you're referring to, Marcus. You know, certain communities, be um, concerned. You know, maybe about. Too many visitors, and visitors not behaving in the right way. So again, that's been a big important part of our kind of educating around that man, you know, managing better for visitors, making sure that visitors understand, you know, how to be sensitive um, to, you know, our landscapes, um, you know, to, to move on when places are busy. Um, and you know, as a destination, as part of that infrastructure, we've got to look at how technology can help enable us uh, to do that as well. To signpost to people, to, to visitors, and the national parks have started trialing this. You know, this location, this car park is full. Here's a suggestion of where else you might go. So I think you know we've got to look at ways in which we can you know use technology and be clever about and, and make sure we've got we're investing to protect our sensitive places and work with communities to make sure we get the right balance of visitors for them at the right times of year. So it's gonna really take a collective effort, but I think we can, we can absolutely do it.
1: It's a friction that's not unique to rural areas in Scotland. It's something we see in Edinburgh with the festival. Some locals are upset with festival culture, but others love it. But maybe the pandemic has taught us some really interesting lessons, We've all been tourists at home in scotland because we had nowhere else to go and i wonder if that will help us all be better tourists when we go somewhere new so i ended the webinar by asking about trends that will emerge from the last two years and how those might benefit scotland's tourism sector
4: one of the things i think for me is alfresco dining and you know enjoying the outdoors and all weathers you know and it's been great i think to see some of the businesses food and drink businesses hotels adapt to use their outside space in a way that we you know other european destinations have always done but we haven't done and i i really do hope that sticks because i think that's been fantastic and you know even on a rainy day you know we've got yeah people business has been quite inventive about how they've created nice outdoor spaces i think that's really good i think the other one for me is is digital you know we've seen consumers um you know using digital we've all become accustomed to using um QR codes and apps you know to and and people are now booking, um booking everything ahead because they want to guarantee you know that that that, that best experience um and businesses i think have also really embraced that so that they're offering that online booking and I, so I think these are trends that are, are definitely going to stay.
3: Vicky stole mine.
2: <laughs> I, so I was,
3: yeah, I was going to say forward booking um, of things that people wouldn't normally book for. So, um, so mm. I'll I'll quickly think of something else. Um, I think the one thing that, that uh, getting into those outdoor spaces. So we saw a lot of, of venues who obviously couldn't have indoor tours, um, open up their their, their gardens um, and be a lot more creative in terms of garden tours, garden events, um, and actually that's brought a whole new side to their business, which is 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 fantastic. Um, and obviously, you get to see parts of um, these venues that you wouldn't necessarily have seen. So I think I think the whole thing has forced um, businesses to really think out of box and very, very quickly. Um, and and as a result of which we're all better off for it, um, although it probably has been quite painful at the time. So uh, I don't think we should discount how, how difficult it has been for this sector to um, continually revise uh, their business models over the last two years.
2: For, for us, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the business has seen um, a lot of benefits. It, it certainly made us have a rethink about everything. Which is really good. It was like a sort of, sort of giant spring clean before um, we came out of lockdown. Things I hated were masks. I, 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 just I hated not seeing people. I hated not seeing our visitors. I hated not seeing their reactions um, when we when we did have it. And and losing the masks and seeing people um, has been absolutely fantastic. Since the uh, we've re- uh, stopped the mask wearing, which is great. But the other thing that I've enjoyed personally is sometimes when you're with a group of friends and you're in a pub environment and you can order your drinks and pay for them on an app, that has made my day. Nobody has to go up and get a round in, nobody has to miss, you know, there's no FOMO, fear of missing out, you you, you don't have to go and get the drinks in, you can just order them, on, and that's been brilliant. That, whoever invented that's a genius.
0: <laughs> thank you, Katie, and thank you for listening. we would love to hear your thoughts on the issues we've discussed today. Uh, You can contact Katie at Katherine.nolan, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N dot N-O-L-I-N at C-M-S dash C-M-N-O dot com. And my email address is Roland.Smith, that's R-O-L-A-N-D dot S-M-Y-T-H at C-M-S dash C-M-N-O dot com. You can also find us on LinkedIn.
1: CMS are proud to be lawyers acting for some of the Scottish tourism industry's key contributors, and we're keen to help the industry through these challenging times. If there's anything we can help you with, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.